Uh, when I was a kid, um, ever since the age of about six, I put on every birthday and Christmas list uh, that I wanted a baby goat. That's, that was my big hope and wish every year. And uh, without fail, it was a no. And um, to such an extent, when mum turned around one day and just said, Miriam, um, we are never going to get baby goats, and we're, we're never going to be rich enough to live in a place where you can have a field where that's appropriate. So, um, you're going to have to marry a farmer. So I think, um, from a small age, I probably hoped that I'd marry a farmer. Basically, so I could get a goat, a horse, um, a little pig, because once you've watched Babe, you all saw one of those. Basically, the whole farmyard. Um, so, if anyone knows any farms that love Jesus, just let me know afterwards. Um, <laughs> Not only do we have kind of childhood hopes, but also, particularly those of you, um, in fact, all of us have parents, or are parents, okay? And w- whether you like it or not, parents do have hopes and expectations for their children. So my mum and dad both went through the Oxbridge thing, so they really hoped that at least one of us made it to Oxford or Cambridge. And um, I applied to Cambridge uh, to do English. Uh, I didn't want to go, but I love Shakespeare, so I thought, oh, okay, I'll give it a go. And um, when I didn't get in, that was a really, really hard moment, but it actually had nothing to do with my own sense of, I'd hoped that I'd get in and I'm now I'm gutted. It was 10 times worse because I disappointed my parents and my school because everybody was rooting for Miriam to be the one that would get in. And uh, dealing with disappointment, when it, the knock-on effect is for other people as well, and for my own parents to kind of have to navigate what were they putting their hope in, was a big one. And then aside from even uh, career and um, prospects like that, there's also hopes and expectations we have that are actually far more serious, that aren't to do with baby goats or Cambridge, that you can't just sort of laugh off or say, oh, actually it worked out better this way instead. You know, we've got far more serious hopes and expectations. Maybe that's to do with um, illness, and maybe something to do with our friends or people around us that we really care about. Things just not working out the way that we've absolutely expected them to. And actually, we don't have an answer for it. I don't know how to fix that. I, you know, it's not like, oh, well, I went to York instead and I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for that. That isn't always the case with our hopes and expectations. We can't always find the alternative. Maybe you've seen illness or death when actually we were praying for healing. Being hurt by other believers in the church family that we're called to be part of. Maybe even feeling like God told you one thing, but now you're not, you're not sure he's come good on his word and you can't see how that makes sense now. Dealing with disappointment can be a really painful and long journey. And I'd rather name it and talk about it as a family and notice the fact that we're coming into this new season and not all of us are absolutely buzzing about everything that's happened and everything worked out fine in every area. But all of us are in that place. But we're family, so we're going to name it and we're going to talk about it together. And actually, we're going to journey with this uh, from Luke 24. And uh, this is a story of uh, people following Jesus or looking to know more of him, uh, dealing with disappointment and sharing a real sense of loss and hurt and just basically not understanding what's going on. The two characters in the story that we'll turn to in a minute um, are Jewish. This is important when understanding the level of disappointment they were dealing with here. Because um, for the Jewish people, uh, so Judaism came out of um, the Israelite nation, the people, known as the people of God, the chosen people, the Jews, came out of that people group. And the Jewish religion had been waiting for a saviour, a messiah, as they called him, 
to come and restore and just basically bring freedom and bring victory and put the Jews back on top where they thought their whole existence had been crushed down and down and down. They'd always ended up at the bottom of the pile. They'd always end up being the oppressed people group that were sold into slavery and basically shunned. And the Jews have been waiting for centuries for a saviour. Centuries for what they know God promised, which was that he would turn his whole thing upside down. God would make good what previously looked like absolute oppression. They've been waiting for that for centuries. So when we look at the level of disappointment and what it's about in this story, we need to understand this isn't just, I didn't get into uni. This is like my entire people and history, my inheritance. Everything that I am, I've been praying for and waiting for, I thought was in this moment and now I don't see it anymore. The stakes have been raised in Luke 24. It's on page 738, if you like physically to read it out of the Bible, which are only tables. If you don't own one, that's yours now. If not, it's also on the screen. And I'm just going to read you the whole story. And we'll go on this journey of hope and disappointment together. We find ourselves on the road to Emmaus. Verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along together? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found that it was just as the woman had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on, as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us whilst he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then these two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Okay, so picture the scene. It's a dusty road. Two friends are walking away from the city of Jerusalem, the promised city, the city in which they thought their people would see victory. 
a city full of hope and expectation. They've set off on a hike, and actually it's going to take a few hours for them to get there. Their heads are down, shoulders are hunched. They're moving like they're on the long walk home, having lost the World Cup final. Now, rather than talking through the shots at goal that they've missed and what people could have done better and analysing the game, actually, the friends are running over everything that's happened in Jerusalem over the last three days. They remind each other of this crazy triumphant entry where Jesus turned up in the city and was hailed as a king as he came through the city walls. People were throwing their coats on the ground, laying it out almost like a red carpet. People tearing off branches from the trees and basically worshipping Jesus as king and as God. All of that celebration, well, it seemed like a sick joke now. And what about the arrest? What about the trial that happened with no defence? What about that same crowd that starts to shout to crucify him, who had been previously shouting, crown him? How did that happen? How did things turn upside down so quickly? They barely even noticed that a stranger was walking alongside them. They just carried on their way up the road thrashing through everything that had happened, everything they'd experienced. Where were the disciples now? Had anyone else been arrested? I can't believe that Jesus is dead and buried after everything we thought, everything we knew of him. And as for what the girls said, I've got absolutely no idea how to process that. What do you do when they run in and say he's not there, the body's gone, they've seen angels? Clearly, we all just need to get out of the city, we need to clear our heads, we need to process this on our own and get some space. This has all got too intense, it's all gone too over the top. It's too much now. What are you talking about? What are you chatting? Why are you walking along the road? I wonder how Jesus interrupted that conversation. He could have been being playful, having a bit of a laugh, you know, deliberately disguising himself to just be like... Actually, he already knew what was going on. But just a cheeky little eavesdrop, see whether they were going to tell him the truth. Oh, what, what, what were you talking about? My ears are burning, you know. But I don't think that in our deepest moments of grief and disappointment, I don't really think that God is out to hide himself from us in order to then go, surprise! <laughs> Got ya! I don't, I don't feel like that's a particularly loving thing to do. When your head's bent down, when you're absolutely heartbroken... I wonder why Jesus allowed himself to not be recognised at first. I don't think he was mucking about. I don't think he was just being a bit funny. I actually think Jesus was giving his people a time to process. I think he genuinely wanted to listen to them. I don't think he wanted to gatecrash their disappointment by going, doesn't matter, look at me, hello, like, don't even worry, don't even, just, hey, here I am. I, don't, I think he actually wanted to go, hey, do it. How are you doing? Because actually, it, it doesn't even matter at this point that what they think isn't true, because the truth is standing there. For them, they are experiencing massive letdown and heartbreak. And I think God cares about that. I think he actually wants to hear how that is. He wants to share that with us, not just boycott it by going, doesn't matter anymore. So Jesus gives the travellers the space to explain, and they pour out their heartache to him. 
I mean, they're amazed that he hasn't heard what's been going on. But they externally process it, process everything that's been going on and everything they're feeling. About, I mean, these guys have just witnessed a crucifixion. They've seen somebody brutally murdered. The most shameful and barbaric way to kill somebody. So there's a serious amount of trauma that's probably going on as well. And actually, Jesus just gives them the space to talk about it to them. And he just listens. The original and best listener, the one who created listening is God. Of course, Jesus listens. But then there's a line, which I don't know whether you noticed, but there's a line that just cuts straight to the matter in this story, that lays out plain why this is so painful for his followers, missed expectations. Verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. How many times in our life and faith and maybe journey of just finding out what this faith thing even means, how many times have we looked at what's happened, we've stood in our present and been at a loss, our hopes and expectations have been disappointed. We had hoped. I had hoped. I wonder how you'd finish that sentence to Jesus. What would you say? Even this week, you've travelled the journey to be here, like the two on the road to Emmaus. Even at the start of autumn, you've travelled months of different experiences and things happening around you or to you. And there's been different expectations that maybe haven't been met. Maybe I had hoped I'd get quality time with the kids. I'd hoped I'd get to talk to them about this or share this moment with them because I found it hard to connect at the moment. Actually, summer holidays were more stressful than relaxing. I had hoped our time away in August would have brought new life to our marriage because we're really struggling at the moment. I had hoped my friend would be healed. I had hoped that person would have become a Christian by now. I had hoped that we'd be free from debt, free from this situation, from that difficulty, free from this addiction by now. We all have I had hoped moments. So back on the road to Emmaus, Jesus lets the two express their disappointment and confusion. He doesn't cut them off, he listens. And then when they've got it all out, Jesus steps in. You've missed something. You've not seen the whole picture. You're stopping halfway through your own story. Look, let me show you. And then Jesus, taking the Old Testament scripture... As they travel along the road, he basically does an incredible Bible study with them. He rewinds back to Moses, the story of God freeing his people from slavery. And then he reminds them of all the signs that he has done to show he is faithful. He sees you, he knows you, and there is more for you. There is always more freedom to come. God is a complete finisher. And he said from the start, you're a blessed people who will be a blessing. So of course he hasn't left you. Of course there's more to the story. Of course we don't stay in the valley of the shadow of, the, of death. Of course we keep walking. And he takes them through this scripture to show them everything that happened in Jerusalem and why it needed to happen like that. You can listen again to the Hidden Jesus series from G2 earlier this term, earlier this year, if you want to see some of the highlights that Jesus probably touched upon. And it's also worth noting, of course, 
that it's amazing. Jesus is standing there in the flesh and the way he chooses to say, you want to know where I am? You want to know what's happened to me? You want to know more of me? He goes straight to scripture to reveal himself. I wonder how many of us in our moment of disappointment, in our moment of missed expectation, have thought to open the Bible. I wonder how many of us have actually, as a default, thought, I wonder what the written word of God might have to say to me. It's interesting that Jesus physically also went to the Bible, to the Old Testament, to remind himself, or his followers rather, that there is more, that hope is still alive. How often do we look at God's perspective and reality, which we find grounded in scripture, in the Bible, in order to understand what we're seeing and experiencing now? How often, when I am disappointed and I think life has just missed it for me, and I've gutted, how often do I actually go to the word of God and say, okay, God, show me what you see. Teach me what you see. Because that's what Jesus does here. That's how he models a way to, right in the middle of the, we had hoped disappointment moment, that's what he does. I wonder how often we do that as our default. But the two travellers still aren't recognising Jesus, despite a blinding Bible study. But now they've reached Emmaus. And then they say to him, look, it's getting late. You've got to stay here. You can't carry on on that road on your own, mate. There's no way we're going to send you off in the dark now. Come stay with us. Come eat with us. I love that the two travellers invite Jesus in. Jesus, it's funny, actually, when you look at the scripture, Jesus was all ready to carry on, which is quite bizarre because they didn't know it was him. He'd had a Bible study and he was ready to go. He was like, all right, see you later. You're there. See you. Bye. He was ready to, to carry on. I love that Jesus didn't overstay his welcome and he didn't force his way in. Jesus is going to carry on going and it's up to his followers to say, we want to hear more from you. I want to make more space for you. Please can I eat with you? Please, I want to go deeper with this. Jesus just doesn't absolutely smash his way through your life with no regard to how you're doing. He listens, he gives you space and then you get the opportunity to go, more, God. I want to hear more from you. I want to hear more about this truth that you're trying to explain to me. They invited Jesus in deeper and further to eat together. I love that. And then the moment of recognising Jesus afresh, as if for the first time, happens over what's known as communion now, bread and wine. Only two chapters earlier in the book of Luke, Jesus broke bread with his 12 disciples and explained this was like his body being broken for the world as a sacrifice. But Jesus was like, I'm going to be broken so that you don't have to be. And then he poured wine and said, my blood is going to be poured out so that yours doesn't have to be. And then a chapter, so we've got two chapters that happened. He said, this is the symbolism of what's on your tables, right? A chapter later, they see it physically. Jesus is on the cross, bleeding and broken saying, the punishment that humanity deserve, I'm taking. That symbol, I'm it, in the flesh. And now, of course, as he does this same symbol, breaking the bread, sharing the wine, his followers seeing. Brilliant. Of course, Jesus uses the symbol that he says, you're going to see more of me when you do this together. Of course that happens. They see him, as soon as they see him, he goes, what's that about? 
But it, does, it sort of doesn't matter at this point, because remember, they've actually been journeying with Jesus for ages, so when they glimpse him, they already know that he's with him. Because if he came good on the promise that he is alive and he, and he is with us and he doesn't leave us, then just the fact that he physically goes doesn't matter, because the promise is still true that Jesus is with you, he is alive, and he came, he's a complete finisher. He came good on everything. Jesus, it's you. He goes, but you know what? They don't even eat. They're, they're done. They drop their stuff. They get up and they race back to the city. It's going to be dark by now. These guys have only just made it where they should be. But it doesn't matter. I, I wonder whether Jesus left because he didn't want to have to deal with the reaction. You know, like they've already had to listen for ages to what they were saying the first time around. So like a second bout of like, ah! I just think maybe it's like, you can do that on your own. So yeah, they're on their feet. He was different. I knew it was different. Did you feel like your heart was burning within you? I knew. How did he know about this? Ah, oh, I'm not even annoyed that he didn't say it was him before because we got to explain and he got to explain it. Oh my word, it's all real and the women were right. This is mental. We need to go. They start running. They're gone. They're gone. Their we had hoped have become a we now know. We now know because we met him. We saw him, we ate with him, we talked with him. I see Jesus in the middle of my biggest disappointment. He's still there. So we know that today we've all come in here with different we had hoped moments going on. Disappointment and heartache. Things that have happened this year, this week, that have caused pain. And over the course of this week, I encourage you to carve out a space, whatever that looks like for you, whether that means you are going to have to get up early before the kids, just once, or sacrifice an evening or a lunch break, to carve out a bit of space to actually name and look at where you're disappointed. (coughs) Where are your I had hoped moments? Where are your moments of actually being disappointed and feeling let down by God? And you feel like that's wrong to even, to even think that. But you know what? That's what the road to Emmaus was about. They were disappointed with who they thought God was. And they needed God to reinform them who he actually is. One of my retreat days, which is a day that I take once a month, and I go and um, basically it's for me to... You know like date night is for you to work on your marriage or relationship? It's like that, but with God. I want to work on my relationship and commitment with God. So I go away, just me. And I go and talk to Jesus and hear from Jesus in scripture and uh, what have you. And one time on my retreat day, all I did was um, sat on the floor with a notebook and I wrote out line after line saying, I had hoped, I had hoped, I had hoped. And finished the sentence until I had nothing else to say about every area in my life, past, present, and maybe even things that I expected in the future that I realised probably weren't going to be a thing. I wrote it all down, and it was really painful, and it was really hard when some of the stuff came out, I realised I had, I was gutted about my friends or family that I'd felt let down by, but actually naming where I was disappointed with God, and then letting God reinform me about every single sentence, what he said, so that I now know this, I now see this every single area of my life, but actually I was just in denial about the fact I was disappointed because I felt like God hadn't showed up in the way I wanted him to. And he, and he needed to step in and say, I was already there, and let me show you how. So let's pause for a moment and just place ourselves in this story. If it helps to close your eyes and focus in, I'm just going to ask you some questions that give you a chance 
to picture in your own mind and thoughts how this might be speaking to you now. Where are you on the road to Emmaus? Are you walking away from Jerusalem, away from your hope and expectation, head bent down, full of disappointment and pain? Is that where Jesus needs to meet you, in the middle of your head bent down moment, absolutely gutted? Maybe you're currently talking to Jesus about the stuff that you're carrying. Are you already in a dialogue about this? Maybe you've run out of words now. You've, you've, you've finished telling God all the things you're gutted about and actually you now need to wait in the space for him to speak. Maybe you've just had your eyes opened and you finally see Jesus as if for the first time how he's alive and active in your situation. Maybe you're just the other side of disappointment. You know that you've just seen victory and breakthrough and you're, it's like you're on your way back to Jerusalem to tell everyone, you might be in that place today. So we just take a moment to acknowledge where we might be on our road to Emmaus. mess. 